0: IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we respond to letters sent by you, the IndieCast listener. My name is Stephen Hayden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? So
1: the people got to know, Steve, you know, now that now that you're on the HBO payroll,
0: does that mean we can't talk about billions anymore? Man, this is a good question. <laughs> um, you're referring to the fact that I am involved in this upcoming Woodstock 99 documentary that uh, premieres July 23rd on all HBO platforms. Uh, that is my uh, plug for that right now. Um absolutely not i i don't think that uh, the secession billions conflict of interest i don't think that comes into play at all here um yeah because i
1: mean if you really talk about it as like an oasis blur thing i mean this would be the kind where the rubber meets the road as far as beef goes you know like hbo right Like hbo does not want you talking up billions and hence like that is kind of you know the, the impetus behind this entire thing not the fact that you already did a very substantial uh you know survey of Woodstock 99 its just that we can't have the two most prominent podcasters in the uh late 30s early 40s demographic talking about billions when succession season three is uh you know on its way
0: well you know when I got involved in this movie it was actually before indiecast started but I mm. did make a contingent on my involvement in the movie that if I did one day get involved with an, with an indie rock podcast that eventually talked that occasionally talked about, uh, financial theme shows (laughs) that I would have to maintain my integrity, that I could not be influenced by any personal interests, uh, professional interests that I, 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 that I, I, would have to be allowed, uh, impartiality in that regard. So, uh, I'm glad I had the prescience Mm-hmm. To 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 know that ahead of time. Uh so yes, there will be no conflict of interest. I I, I do anticipate secession being weaved into this show somehow when that when that comes about. Oh,
1: absolutely. You know, I think that you should I think you should leave Succession. Like we are we are fully stocked as far as pop cultural references that will appeal to our audience for pretty much the rest of twenty twenty one.
0: Well, I mean, we haven't even uh talked about i think you should leave which came back this week i don't know if we want to be dropping like sloppy steaks references or uh... Uh, this
1: stuff is too fresh right now on the one hand like if we don't do this this week like we'll be behind the curve uh but also the, like i just literally watched these two last night and i just haven't formulated the gags i i, I think they'll happen you know we, we we can't we can't micromanage these jokes but yeah, yeah my- Sloppy Steaks, Dan Flashes, you know, I, I see all of these and I, I, I just have Twitter brain because the fir- like I'm watching this, I'm trying to enjoy myself and already the wheels are turning. I'm like, okay, how can I make this into a sixth wave
0: emo joke? And like, well, my, well, I, the, the, the danger, I think, with the second season yeah. of I Think You Should Leave is that people are so anxious to reference the show that it might burn out the show. Uh, too quickly. I mean, the mm. great thing about the first season is that it was a slow burn, so uh, you know you could get the jokes in about uh, you know like the, the the skeleton band and like yeah you know, the bones uh, are the money or the the steering wheel
1: and the steering you know, wheel all, thing. By the way, still all classics. Like I think also, that yeah, definitely you could use those as memes, and it still won't be totally corny. As a matter of fact, I think the the timeline has has burnt so quickly that it went from, okay, this is a little tired, to, okay, yeah, it's sort of like with bands. I think, you know, there's a subject which is very related to this, where it's like, okay, it's like huge hype, then the second time around, it burns out too quickly, and then you give it a little bit of time, and it's like, yeah, okay, this is canon, so.
0: Well, I think, you know, if we're going to continue the analogy of a band, I think people were maybe anticipating that the second record by I Think You Should Leave would be a letdown, and I haven't watched the whole season yet, but the episodes I've seen have been, like, really funny. Oh, yeah, so, they're great. Uh, they've yeah. delivered a strong sophomore effort with uh, their second season. So, yeah, maybe people were, like, bracing for a backlash, but then they're like, oh, wait, they they actually delivered the goods. Yeah. So let's just enjoy this thing that's, that's good. And, you know, because I feel like on this show – you know, we took some shots at Bo Burnham, we did. Which, p- which people did not like, or some people in our listenership did not like. So, like, let's just embrace this thing that we all like and we all enjoy it, and uh, you know, let's not worry about it getting burned out. Yeah. Even at though least- I just said I'm worried <laughs> about it, I'm trying not to worry about at it. At least
1: for now. Like, let's maybe we're maybe we're in a phase where you know, past Fourth July, people like are maybe people are able to enjoy things for like a week. Yeah.
0: Yeah, maybe so, and you know, it it just makes me think about because you, you you had this in our in our outline that you wanted to talk about uh, something that people don't <laughs> like to enjoy. Yeah, speaking they, of let people enjoy things, <laughs> <laughs> because I wrote something about Jim Morrison last week because That's it right. was the, it was the fiftieth anniversary of his death on on July third, and uh, I was prompted to write that because of the anniversary, but more so because. I feel like The Doors, for whatever reason, were in the discourse earlier this year. And it was the predictable thing where people just talking about how much The Doors suck. Mm. And uh, I think we're on the same page on this. I you know, The thing with The Doors is you can look at Jim Morrison and you watch the Oliver Stone film or you read the book, No One Here Gets Out Alive. Yeah. And it's easy to draw the conclusion that this guy... Uh, was just the buffoon, you know, who did, who drank all the time, and he was abusive, and you know, maybe he wasn't the best person. And I, I, I'm not going to argue against all that, yeah. But like, that doesn't mean that the doors suck. Yeah. I mean, the doors have jams, you know. Yeah. And, and I think I wanted to make that case. I mean, are you with me on the doors having jams?
1: Okay, I'm very much with you on like the on the pro doors front, like to. To, to backtrack like do I listen to the doors with regularity? not really like not at all. like the doors I had a very uh, I had a very deep doors phase in the summer of 1997. I was 17 years old. I was on a teen tour in Israel, and like the doors were some of the most profound music I had ever heard up to that point. Now, mind you, I was also that was the summer that OK Computer came out, and like it was right around the time that Wu Tang Forever came out as well with the enhanced CD. So I was very much in a position to be ve- blown away by these all consuming philosophical treatises on like uh, art, you know? Like, this, it like I think it's a rite of passage to go through the doors. Now, can you get into the doors when you're, like, 35? Probably not. But then again, I think that
0: I, I can't imagine someone who's 35 years old getting into the Smiths for the first time either. It's I mean, just, I think you can. I think it's because I know for me personally, like when I was a kid, I went through a phase that you're talking about where I thought the doors were great. And then I went through a long period where I thought, the Doors sucked. And then, it, and then it was like maybe in my, in my mid-30s where I started reconsidering them and being like, no, actually, they're, they're yeah. pretty good. And like the ridiculousness of The Doors mm-hmm. is, I think, part of what makes them lo- lovable. Oh, absolutely. Me. That's the thing. It's like, well, it, even if you like take the
1: academic approach where, uh, you know, Jim Morrison, huge influence on Iggy pop huge fl- influence on Ian Curtis, like the basis of a lot of post-punk, uh, the ridiculousness is kind of the entire point of The Doors. Um, y- y- you can appreciate, uh, you know, the the pop songs like Break On Through or Hello, I Love You, but also, you know, Not To Touch The Earth or Unknown Soldier. Like, I got really into Waiting For The Sun and uh, Strange Days and just like the really weird albums or or the Soft Parade like I love mid-period doors where like they kind of get objectively bad but it's an, <laughs> it's a, it's bad in a way that's like interesting because like I think with a lot of uh 60s 70s, like, 70s bands the, there's so much you know baggage as far as like this is like where you know music began or whatever like Beatles there isn't a lot of soft spots in their catalog like Led Zeppelin not like you know it's pretty much like towards the end only Uh, but the Doors have just like a really interesting trajectory where they, uh, you know, the first two albums are pretty much perfect. They get weird and kind of silly. And then towards the end, they retrench to more of like a heart, like a blues based sort of band, which I imagine like this would have been similar to like Stone Temple Pilots. Like, you know, how people talk about them these days, like actually they kind of came around towards the end. They really started to develop themselves. And I think also Scott Weiland is a guy who, you know, unfortunately bears a lot of similarities to uh Jim Morrison. But um yeah, the doors suck is like kind of a bat Like when someone offers that opinion outright to me, that's like I love some hater ass opinions. Like, don't get me wrong, but like the doors suck is right up there with the lamest ones, along with like ska sucks or new metal invariably sucks, you know, to right connect well, to what's not ninety nine.
0: <laughs> you feel like it's a knee-jerk thing that you don't really have to defend because yeah. it's a fashionable opinion that people with quote-unquote good taste share. So if you say the doors suck, it's not like saying the Beatles suck because you're instantly going to have a fight yeah. with, uh, with with people and you're going to have to defend it. But, but you can say the doors suck without really giving them a chance and like people will just go along with it. I will say, and you touched on this before, it is the academic argument to say, like, the Doors were influential on so much post-punk music and and just punk music in general. But, like, they really are, I think even now, uh, a band that, like, in terms of 60s bands, I feel like they're actually more present than, like, a lot of other bands of their. Generation, like, absolutely. In my, in my piece, I made the argument that really, like any band where it's kind of like a droney sounding band, and you have a person talking over it, <laughs> in some way is connected to the Doors. Like I, I, th- maybe this is too much of a stretch, but like in my piece, I made the connection to like the dry cleaning record, where there's not much so- sonic similarity at all, but like the idea of like an iconoclastic you know, poet lead singer talking over a band that is in some ways like in a different like universe from like what the singer is doing. I think that you could trace that back to the doors in, in some way. Like there, there's like a lot of music that uh, that people enjoy where maybe they hate the doors, but like they're enjoying things that were in some way influenced by that. I I really think that they have like a foundational, uh, you know, importance in in rock music that continues even now. I I Um, just
1: want to point out what you did there. And like this is the this is the essence of IndieCast. Where not only did like you connected them to dry cleaning, um, which you know is a feat within itself, but I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, did like Steve just met like talk about the doors being as like the genesis of like La Dispute and touche amore and so forth. (laughs) Like all that, like talk emo stuff that happened in like the two thousand tens. Like, does this all link back to Jim Morrison? Like, what a great case to be made for this band.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah, this, is, mean, this is
1: why HBO pays you the big bucks because you somehow well, managed to connect, um <laughs> like the like like talky post hardcore emo with British post punk and like one of the least defensible bands from the sixties. I think I think the case. I think we can end make. the episode here. Like we, <laughs> after fifteen minutes, we've just like completely restructured the time space continuum of music criticism.
0: I think uh, I think Up Rocks is canceling our Zoom call right now because <laughs> it, we've just finally gone too far. Um, we've, gone mad, we've gone power mad, like Jim Morrison any... in nineteen seventy. Exactly. We're uh, I, I'm just sitting in a darkened room <laughs> slugging you know, taking slugs from a bottle of Jack uh, with my Jim Morrison beer. Yeah,
1: also, like, the last thing I gotta say is um, the Doors are responsible for, like, one of my favorite line readings in cinematic history. It's from the ridiculous Oliver Stone movie where Jim Morrison is on the beach with Ray Manzarek and he's uh, reading off, like, a sh- like a sheet of paper the lyrics that eventually became Moonlight Drive and Ray Manzarek just, like, kind of looks and is like, those a great fucking lyrics, man. <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene is yeah, amazing. that excellent. Like that, I, I like. Unfortunately, I can't find that on YouTube. But one of these days, I'm just gonna like, I don't know, do it myself. Like, just get the VHS going, like record it, put it on YouTube, so I can just use that as a reaction shot for. Like five times a day, there's like that is, like that is my preeminent in search of YouTube clip. If you're an indiecast listener who's handy with technology, please put that clip on YouTube, and maybe you'll get in the mailbag.
0: I also think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Doors movie is the first movie to have a scene where people are doing heroin to the Velvet Underground song (laughs) "Heroin." (laughs) <laughs> you know, which has been done a few times. It's like in that movie, "Killing uh, Killing Me Softly" or "Killing Them Softly," the Brad Pitt James oh. Gandolfini movie. Oh, yeah. There's a scene like where someone does heroin while "Heroin" by Velvet Underground plays on the soundtrack. But I think Oliver Stone did it first. Uh, you know, the just the great obvious needle drop. I wonder if there's any movies where people do cocaine to the song cocaine <laughs> or you know what i mean like i love that Dude, like when, yo,
1: what you got to do is use your connections at hbo
0: to find that out you know maybe so maybe so i just love the idea of directors being like okay we have <laughs> people doing this this specific drug what song can we use as an accompaniment for this <laughs> how about a song where <laughs> like the drug is actually in the title that's amazing um should we get to our mailbag
1: we should get to our mailbag before we go completely off the rails and get american prayer in this man let's
0: oh man yeah we'll (laughs) we'll 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 save american prayer for another episode we gotta
1: we gotta put a ban on any future doors references because it's very clear that like this stuff has been like just gestating in our souls for like the past 30 years
0: i mean i can't believe we we just spent 10 minutes talking about the doors i can Um, what's not to believe On this indie cast, <laughs> on this indie rock podcast, but yeah, exactly. Uh, I could I could go another three hours on the Doors, uh, but let's get to our mailbag. And of course, this episode it's all mailbag. In this, all mailbag, uh, which is always fun to do. We get a lot of letters from our listeners, and they're all great. And we can't always answer all of them, so it's nice to do an episode where we just answer letters because uh, we wanna we wanna give it up for the people out there who who decide to write in. We really appreciate them. So let's get into it. Our first uh, letter is from. It says Grandma Sophia is uh, the the writer, and apparently I looked this up because I didn't really understand mm. what this was. And apparently this is a, this is a pop culture blogger.
1: It is, and one of the are you fir- familiar with Grandma Sophia? And now I am because I looked it up, and the first thing I see it's like dead center. The first uh, article is Charles Bronson and the powers of reinvention. Like this, oh, this is go. really speaking to us
0: absolutely so we're giving you some free pub here grandma Sophia. Yeah. so thank you for writing also that. the the
1: other thing i see on its immediate right is about the goalie's anxiety at the penalty kick so
0: oh damn yeah
1: the, this one this one's getting bookmarked
0: oh is there any like uh, any stories like on muse's the second law on there or mm-hmm. uh maybe, maybe that's to come yeah
1: i don't know we'll, we'll, we'll see about this game of cat and mouse
0: And we'll see. Uh, Actually, yeah, don't Grandma Sophia, if you're listening, don't cover the second law. That's our beat. We don't want this to get overexposed. Uh, This has got to be our bit only (laughs) here on IndieCast. Uh, This is a letter from Grandma Sophia. I wanted to ask who you gentlemen think are doing the best artist interviews profiles in 2021. In which medium is best for learning about an artist these days? I could see the answer differing for a new artist versus an established artist. There are a lot of smaller blogs, newsletters, podcasts, and YouTube pages doing great short and long-form interviews with newer acts. However, absolutely nobody reads, watches, or listens to those interviews (laughs) except for other writers and talkers preparing to interview those exact same artists. Most quasi-corporate media uh, interviews, video and written, seem to be either a saunter through pre-established talking points or artists interviewing other artists in a way that amounts to both parties going damn exactly over and over again i find the only interviews where i really learn anything about an artist these days are when the artist is brand new and they don't know better than to spill the beans and he goes on he or she i don't know if this is uh what the gender is here but they go on to list uh profiles of ogbert the nerd
1: which they did themselves so that's a really good yeah we
0: got to mention that one there's an Olivia Rodrigo uh, Hot Ones interview. Is that like the Hot Wings? I think that, interview? yeah, that's the one with hot sauce, I believe. And then there's a dogleg interview that uh, about also... About Smash Brothers. Refers, about Smash Brothers. Yeah. Uh, so, yada, 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 yada. Their words, not ours. Their words, not ours. Uh, who do you think is doing the best interviews in 2021? And which platform is most conducive for the highest quality interview these days? Thanks, fellas. Love the pod. Grandma Sophia. Um, so, I think the best interviewers... Yeah, Ian Cohn and sure. Stephen
1: Hyden. Next fucking question.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I have some thoughts on this. I, I'm curious, like, for you, if you prefer talking to... Uh, like, like this person was saying that they like interviews like with people who are really green you know yeah. people young in the game who don't really know any better like who haven't gonna... been media who,
1: who haven't been undergoing media training yet which by the way that is a thing and people talk it's not like a secret like media training is a thing
0: and it's uh and you know in fairness i understand why that yeah. Happens oh yeah because, you uh, absolutely in, have to do that in this day and age especially if you say yeah. something in an interview you get like you know, 20 websites who aggregate it and they pull out the quote and Mm -hmm. and they're often not doing very charitable readings of what people are saying. So it can be very embarrassing. It can derail your album cycle Mm. if uh, you say the wrong thing.
1: Or in Uh, the case of like, say, St. Vincent or Lana Del Rey, like put it into overdrive. But, you know, to, to this person's point when they say the only people who read these interviews are like other writers and people who are trying to do subsequent interviews like that's pretty much the totality of all forms of music writing like I think we have to be very aware that most of this stuff is just like inside baseball but as far as like inner okay like as far as like why do these artist profiles in the first place like they serve a a few purposes for me like if you see me doing an artist profile um a, it's usually because like I like the band a lot and also because I just don't feel like rolling the boulder up the hill for the album review. Like I think with the artist profile, you can talk about the album and not be kind of stuck in the, uh, here's where they were on their last album. Here's what this does well. Here's what it doesn't do well. Or, you know, like I'm interviewing Foxing for their new album cycle rather than reviewing it because it's just like, you know what, I'm not going to put myself out there to say to, to not to not put forth like I like this album as much as I do because of the limitations of the review structure but anyway um yeah as far as like interviewing super green people that can be a lot of fun because um depending like for example like Stereo Gum. like when I interview bands for a band to watch like odds are that is by far the biggest like publication they've been been interviewed for yet and they are just super pumped to talk to and you know they're they they're not jaded they've like they when they say hey that's a good question they actually mean it rather than like stalling for time but um also but also you have the case where it's like wow these people could use some media training because like they just
0: haven't had a lot of things happen to them yet um but or they're shy i mean yeah. cuz it can go the opposite way from yeah. what you're saying sometimes people are really psyched and it's almost like, they, they're they this damn ready to burst. And it's like, oh, finally someone's asking me about my record, and they're going to go off forever. But just as often, I find that artists clam up, and they don't say anything, and it can be really difficult talking to someone who yeah. hasn't really done a lot of interviews before. Um, I have to say that for me, I don't know how you feel about this, I'd say by far, mm-hmm. the best interviews are with artists that have been around for like 30 years.
1: Absolutely. Like, th- this is we are in very strong agreement about
0: this because like i've been doing this thing lately where i interview an artist and i have them just talk about every album that they've put out including yeah. the new album that they're promoting and uh i find that you talk to someone who uh, maybe it's like 10 or 15 years Past a certain record, they're now gonna tell you if they think that album's bad, or <laughs> yeah. if, if or if they didn't like the producer, or if they feel like the guitar player wasn't as engaged as he should have been. Like you're gonna get all those stories because you're outside of the album cycle. They're not trying to sell anything anymore. They're just gonna speak their mind. And and there's also um, not as much danger to them mm-hmm. uh, to get aggregated as a matter of fact they probably want that because if you're in your late 40s or 50s it's harder to get coverage so if you say something interesting in an interview it's good so like you know like i've done interviews like with jacob dylan recently like where he was very candid about his albums Mm. um i remember chino moreno from deftones like was was super candid about um albums that were even kind of recent in their catalog like uh their 2016 record gore and talking about how Mm -hmm. I can't like the guitar player in the room. Throwing band.
1: Steph under the bus. That is a we're, Deftones rite of passage. Yeah. In we're, we're, he was basically like, yeah, he,
0: uh, Chino's just like, yeah, I don't think he was into this record. I, I don't think he was really engaged. Yeah. And uh, like, you're not going to get that from a 22 year old musician who's putting out their first record. Exactly. Likely.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, the not, I don't want to say like over the hill or whatever, like, you know, past their prime alt rock artist like hands down the best interviews I've done. And it doesn't even need to be someone famous, like Richard, Richard Patrick from filter or like art from Everclear Um, local H. Like these ones are great a, because they have actual stories from a time when the music industry had money. So they would get themselves in like really interesting situations uh, just from the nature of like being around a lot of rich and famous people um, Billy Corgan, I interviewed him in 2017. Like he was mostly mocking me throughout the entire interview, but nonetheless, <laughs> that was so much like, I'm like there in my actual real life office, like talking to one of my idols. And this guy's just like, kind of making a mockery of my questions. I'm, like, this is the best interview I've ever done. Um, it kind of gets to why like Eve six and Richard Marks are so beloved, uh, you know, on Twitter, it's because like, If you're, like, past the point where you kind of stop caring about what people think about you, or, I mean, maybe you really, really care and you just have no self-awareness, if you can, like, laugh at yourself, uh, that people eat that stuff up, you know? Like, I think people kind of inherently realize the 90s and the 80s were a ridiculous time, and it's like that, you know, if you can look back on it and tell a few good stories, like, man, what were we thinking with that video um, like that is your road to having a productive second career as a Twitter celebrity. So,
0: yeah, yeah. And it, it, I think it, I mean, the biggest thing on social media is authenticity. Like, do people think you're genuine? Yes. And that is a path to appearing genuine that yeah. you can look at your, yourself honestly and, and, and not padded in like all the PR stuff that a lot of public figures do like whenever they talk about themselves so and and i I, want to say too that like i don't know how you feel about this i'm at the point now where i prefer q and a's i think to artist profiles oh absolutely unless you're actually in a situation uh where you're spending substantial time with the subject. Which you're not. Uh, which like, you're people not aren't doing. Right. People weren't
1: doing that anyways. Like I saw a very sharp decrease in first paragraphs that mentioned like what the artist is eating.
0: Right. Which even is even before COVID. Cliche. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you you have to do that because you only get an hour with this person if so you're lucky <laughs> if you're lucky so everything that they do you have to like freight with all the significance like they ordered the cobb salad which yeah. to me suggests that they are <laughs> uh approaching a more austere point uh, perspective on their uh, on their life they tentatively picked at the blue cheese similar to how they
1: ate around the edges of their new album mm. getting like you get into that sort of thing and like the problem is like no one ever seems to have fun with that cliché like uh and also like when when we point out like the 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 whole point of artist interviews in the first place which is to give you a little bit of insight uh, as to what this person's like outside of like their album Twitter's kind of made that redundant like i i can't think of too many times where i come out of an interview thinking oh yeah this person's like way different than they are on say Twitter or if they're not on Twitter maybe i kind of want to Sustain uh, the good the good view I have of them. So
0: yeah, I mean, I think at best in an interview, you're asking questions that a fan would want to ask yeah. that no one else has asked them, and that's why I feel like if you talk about albums, for instance, and there's an album that you suspect the band doesn't like, it's mm. like just ask them like Do you do you like this album or not? And then they <laughs> can actually give an honest answer. You know, to me, like that is where these interviews really come up the best if you're reading it and you're thinking like yes i, I would have wanted to know the answer to that uh, uh so i think that's what you aspire to so yeah i mean i think they still have value um but yeah just interview old people i think yeah. old people are where it's at they're dying um, to talk to you <laughs> like i want to interview olivia rodrigo in 20 years like i want to interview her about this period of her life right now Wait, like when no, she's but, in her forties. Who you
1: really want to interview is like not Olivia Rodrigo in twenty years, but like whoever is like the C List version of Olivia Rodrigo right now.
0: Like whoever like is the like Pom Pom Girls, like we get like a no, Pom Pom Girls interview. No, like I'm crashing. talking about like a
1: pop artist, like whoever is like what local H was to Nirvana, like whoever that is to Olivia Rodrigo in twenty years they're gonna have some good stories. So
0: yes. So, let's move on to our next question here. This comes from Nate in Austin. All right. Uh, Thank you, Nate, for writing in. He says, long time, first time. Ah. Uh, As in, not just listening to the pod, but reading both of you for a while. Well, thank Mm -hmm. you very much. Uh, I think Ian had a brief drive-by mention of Ty Seagal on a recent episode, which reminded me of how much I like the guy, but I can't understand why he hasn't been bigger Uh, beyond maybe oversaturating the market in his corner of of indie rock. I feel the same way about bands like Ted Leo and The Pharmacist. They recently enjoyed a small anniversary media cycle for Tyranny of Dissness, but it shocks me how many seemingly okay-verse music fans never had a Ted Leo phase. Um, I never had a Ted Leo phase. (laughs) Uh, Full confession there. All right. Um, So basically, he's wondering basically if... Ty yeah. would have been bigger if he had come out at a different time other than now. Hmm. Um, and yeah. are there any IndyCast core artists that come immediately to mind as candidates for this thought experiment? Uh, that's Nate from Austin. So he's wondering about Ty Seagal specifically. Yeah. And then if there's any other artists that we feel like if they'd come out at a different time, they'd be more popular. Um, I have definite feelings about this Ty <laughs> question. Uh, but well, I'm curious, like, what you think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the question in general talks about, like, how with, with some athletes you could tell, like, oh, this person would have dominated the 70s or this 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 uh, basketball player in the 80s would be incredible now. He was just ahead of his time or whatever. And, you know, with Ty Seagal, like, what Nate from Austin... And by the way, like, this, ha- asking about, like, Ty Seagal and Ted Leo, like, I can already picture Nate in my mind. Like, this guy is, like quintessential indie cast listener
0: did uh, you uh did you ever have a ted leo phase um, by the way I, here's the th- i, I
1: kind of listened to him a little bit in 2002 yeah. two or three and i i, right. I visited tyranny this so and i'm like hey this is pretty good and then i listened to like you know the next album pretty good and then after that, it's like oh right i remember he kind of like diminishing
0: returns but you know he had a good run for a while but yeah i've, I've, I've dabbled in his albums yeah um, he's good. Yeah, and I, I thought he was like solid but yeah I actually, I don't get I know this specificity. It's just like a just, less,
1: a less, like a kind of a more self serious version of Jeff Rosenstock. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's oh, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it, there's, a there's, good comparison. Yeah. Similar sort of things. But with Ty Seagal, it's like Nate asks if, like, he, you know, this guy should have been in the 70s and, like, he would have been huge. And, like, the question, the, the thing about that is, like, Ty Seagal as a, like, or an artist that would have taken his place in the 2010s. Like, this guy does not exist without a history of rock music to draw upon. And it's like, when I think about, you know, similar sort of comparisons, like, oh my god, like, this person's, like, should have, this guy would have killed in the 60s. It's like, I think Ty Seagal probably would have gotten dwarfed by people in the 70s psych rock world. It's like, and nowadays, he's competing with more or less like nobody or people who are on the formerly known as Burger Records label, but like
0: or like the OCs, I think would be yeah, the other big yeah. dog, and who I actually think is are probably bigger than him now. Ooh, I mean, that,
1: that's so, a that's a good question. But I would say, like as a
0: live attraction, I think yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like the OCs, like the OCs, I think they played Red Rocks. recently. Wow. which yeah. uh They're, you know maybe not the
1: level of King Gizzard, but. The, so, the reason I think, like, Ty Seagal is, like, perfectly positioned for now is because there really isn't a lot of competition. And when you look at his prime, like, at least as a, a figure of the indie rock discussion between 2010 and 2014, I think that is, like, the last period of time where uh, this guy could be, like, an indie A-lister. Because at the beginning, you had, like, Shit Gaze and Psych Punk, like, early Kurt Vile, Jay Retard, early Waves, and... Like, maybe, like, when he released that album in 2014, I forget what it's called, it's Red, he's on the cover, it's, like, I can't believe I can't remember a Ty Seagal album title, like, wow. Um, But, you know, it's, like, The Men were big at that time, Cloud Nothings, Um, like, 2010, 2014, like, that is just when it was, you know, still kind of all right to be an apolitical,
0: just straight-up rock act, and... and Well, I mean, can I say, like, I feel like Ty Seagal... I mean, I don't know this, I, I guess I, I, I'd like to ask him this, but my feeling about him is that he probably is as popular as he wants to be. Oh, yeah. I don't, get, I don't get the sense from him that he's trying to, you know, make a leap to arenas or something. Like, you don't put out, like, three records a year making the kind of music that he does with that goal in mind. I mean, he's a guy who, again, I'm going to use the music venue uh, standard as a way to measure someone's popularity but like here in minneapolis like he plays first avenue which is like about a i think that's like 15 to 1800 people um so and i would imagine that he he does that in most markets in la he probably oh plays la he's market. much much much
1: like la like southern california is like that is his territory like, but that, like or he, the bay
0: but to play a venue like first avenue in the middle of the country i think yeah. speaks to him being more popular than like a majority of indie rock people that yeah. we talk about a majority of even indie rock people that get a lot of press you know like he he so he's he's doing fine i think as he is i i guess i don't i wonder like what's the expectation yeah that if you think he should be bigger i mean like wh- what would cause you to think that like i i can't really think of an era like to, to, He would be bigger than he is now. Yeah, if 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 he existed
1: five years earlier, like maybe, like I don't think there would have been a wave of like um, bands that would have carried him over. And if he started right now, would be much more of a niche thing. But one another band that Nate brought up, and if you'll allow me to like go off on this a bit, he mentioned Motion City Soundtrack, which is like the they he mentioned Motion City Soundtrack as a band that maybe kind of missed their wave. Can, can, I, can I tell a little story here?
0: <laughs>
1: a Motion City Soundtrack story? I, I, I can't like, wait. I, yeah, no. Like, when you say Motion City Soundtrack, I, I think of, like, a, a very formative experience of 2014. So th- this ties a lot of threads. But, um, you know, as much as we mock Emo Night LA on this podcast, I, th- th- when they've asked me to, like, DJ, they've been nothing but nice to me. And w- the last time I DJed there, they had myself. Jesse from Motion City Soundtrack and Dallas from Days of and the Critically Maligned Statistics uh, to DJ. And like, they had us play this kind of like old man rock and fun zone part, like on the outside where we could play like Promise Ring and Mineral Songs while, you know, inside the Plex Tom DeLonge is up on stage playing Gym Class Heroes on an iPod. But, um, you know, to, to what he's talking about, like with Motion City Soundtrack, Jesse was like, you know, he, he, we were just talking about like emo and indie rock and so forth. And you know, when most City soundtrack first getting started, he's like, yeah, we were like opening for bands like Rilo Kylie. And, you know, in other words, indie rock bands. And then 2005, they get swept up in epitaph, the warp tour, everything's all right, comes out. And he talks kind of wistfully about how they weren't able to ever be the band that they thought they were like, they see themselves as like a new pornographers-esque power pop band. But like for, you know, the rest of their career, they're like pop punk, warp Tour. Um, And, you know, to me, like that kind of, like whenever I think about like, have I really overstated the emo indie divide? And sometimes it's a little embarrassing to read stuff I wrote at that time. But it's like, I talked to so many bands who were like, Kind of emo, but sort of indie from that era. Who feel like they just got like a raw deal, even though they're like so much more popular back then than they would be now. Like if Motion's, if Motion City Soundtrack came out now, like they might be Oso Oso. Like getting that like scraping the bottom of the best new music, uh, sort like sort of reviews. But also if Oso Oso came out in two thousand five, if like they switch places. Oso Oso could be like not like the Shins big, but maybe that's sort of like hey they're popular with the OC and the Warp Tour. Like they they might be they might be
0: like kind of a, a secondary Shins. So and that's is the there thing. another band though that you could say similar to Ty gall that like they don't exist without the reference points mm. of those bands being in 2005 i think part of their appeal yeah. was that they were a throwback to that oc era yeah so like if they were in the oc era and they actually had to compete with like with death death cat for cutie and all the other big bands from that era i don't like would they have been as big as those bands i don't know i mean it's the same thing with ty seagal like if ty seagal actually had to put out records at the same time as Jimi hendrix and uh you know blue cheer and you know acts like that like would Would people care about him or would they just be like, well, he's like a secondary or third tier person compared to those giants? Yeah, but I
1: also think that like, you
0: know, uh, a band like
1: Oso Oso could really use like a venue like VOC or like MTV. It's like, I think that bands from that, if we're talking about like 2005, it's just having...
0: Uh, the same monocultural uh, right. venues. So I don't like know. Seth but, Cohen. Yeah. Seth Cohen like uh, blasting, basking in the afterglow, and then like they just become this huge band. Yeah. Like the, the, the next day. I mean, it's crazy like how well that worked. It, like yeah, it's band. incredible. And uh, or like Chuck Klosterman having his book on that show, and then it goes on to sell like a million copies or whatever mm. after that. Just pretty crazy. Great, mom- like, great could- moments in Cohen taste making. Exactly. Why can't people on TV shows be reading, like, music criticism books now? I mean, that never happens anymore. That's why we're all in this, uh... In this niche that we're in yeah. in 2021 so our uh, last question here it's actually a good transition from the uh from the motion city soundtrack uh segue that you just want to which by the way i you know i i kind of skipped over some parts of the previous letter i think i skipped over the part about motion city soundtrack mm-hmm. where the guy was talking about that so hopefully that made sense to people <laughs> that you were talking about that because he also referenced motion city soundtrack as a band that was out of time a little bit so anyway that's but
1: and on. also they're they're doing a tour behind uh their two classic
0: 2005 album commit this to memory uh you can bet your ass i'm gonna be there oh man well that'll be exciting we'll have to hear a scene report from that uh tour uh when that goes down um this question comes from sean in seattle mm-hmm. which is a great indiecast listener yeah. uh <laughs> tag there i love that yeah um it says, hi, Cass, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. If I need to burnish my Midwest credentials, thank you very much. But it's good to have someone from uh, the upper, uh, I guess, the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I appreciate having that. Uh, between an album by Islands that came and went recently and the Just Like Heaven announcement Coming with an overwhelming amount of mockery on music critic Twitter, I've been thinking about how the block rock era gets none of the nostalgic cred of the "Meet Me in the Bathroom" scene, and why that might be. Um, do you think it's because blog rock, by nature, was driven by people outside the establishment, or did bands like Wolf Parade and Islands just get away from what critics wanted, or did the commercial wave that followed, uh, with bands like Cold War Kids and and the Black Kids just uh, sour the pool entirely or am I just out of step with what most people's preferences are on this? Uh, Love the show. Sean in Seattle. Um, Again, another reference to the Just Like Heaven uh, music writer yeah. critic discourse goldmine for IndieCast, which we didn't bring up in. A, did we bring that up in the IndieCasties? I think that was a a major snub. We talked about it a bit, like as far as, I think was that, it a like, nominee though? Was it one of the no I no I don't no. think it was. This was
1: part of the. It, it was just the, in banter. It hadn't been upgraded to. You know, a headliner status. It should have been a nominee. That was a that was a snub. Well, uh, for the indie. Uh, I, I can't. I can't wait till this thing actually happens because
0: like it's well,
1: it, it's in Pasadena. I'm going to be there. I,
0: I feel like you know because a couple people have have said like oh like people are just crapping on this festival. My my read on that whole thing was that people were basically being self deprecating, hmm. talking about how oh this music that was popular in my 20s now it's being packaged together in what appears to be sort of like a nostalgia festival. Mm. And isn't, this is a sign that I am now old. Like that to me was the basis of most of the jokes about that. It wasn't most, but not all. Okay. Maybe some people were taking shots at the band, but I feel like for the most part, um, it was people just making fun of themselves or, or, you know, feeling depressed about (laughs) being decrepit old codgers now. Yeah. Um, but it is worth noting that, like, that festival's playing the Rose Bowl, right?
1: Yeah, or, like, it, it's, there's, like, a, a fairgrounds within the Rose Bowl that um, I saw the Cures Festival, which I don't think was called Just Like Kevin. It was called Pasadena Daydream. That's what it was oh, called. Oh,
0: man. I, yeah, yeah well, it was them. How does it, Robert Smith feel about that? Because that, that should be his thing. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure –
1: like, Robert Smith, I I can't even imagine how rich that guy is. Like, I don't think he really cares,
0: but – He deserves it. Yeah. Deserves every penny. Yeah, but like, Pasadena
1: Um, Daydream, that was uh, The Cure, Pixies, Deftones. uh, That was a good day for me.
0: (laughs) So, I mean – is it fair to say that this festival is going to draw tens of thousands of people?
1: It got sold out like when they did it in two thousand nineteen. Like the first t- the first weekend sold out so quickly that they had to add a second weekend, as if it were Coachella. I have little to no doubt that this thing
0: is going to do numbers. Like what's the what's the uh, capacity? Like for oh, I have each-
1: no. Well, it's an outdoor festival. So last time they had it in Long Beach uh, at the Queen Mary, which is funny because that's also sort of kind of uh, a wolf parade reference, but. Yeah, I, I have little to no doubt that this thing is going to uh, draw, you know, uh, enough, It's going to sell out in some way.
0: Like, what are we talking, like twenty thousand? I have 30, absolutely no, I have absolutely okay. no frame of reference in this, but probably pretty big. Yeah, um, I'm going to push back on the premise of this question because I feel like take that, Sean from Seattle. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't, I, I feel like there actually is quite a bit of love. Mm for that era and um you know it's it's easy to take shots at the johnny come lately bands of that time um if you want to do that like i i wouldn't do that but i think people that want to malign that era can you know think of any number of bands that have really long band names and you know block and spiels and x block and spiels and like a dozen people in the band but um there's also a lot of bands that were really successful, and they're still are successful that came out of that era. Hmm. Whether we're talking about Arcade Fire or Bunny "Bear" or The Shins, or you know, like bands that I think people probably actually did read about for the first time on blogs, yeah, back then, um, that are part of that era. We don't really associate them with it because they transcended the era. But even like the like the one hit wonder bands, hmm. um, I feel like if you made a playlist of those bands and you played it at a party, like, people <laughs> of a certain age would be freaking out and be really excited about it. You yeah. know, they'd be, they'd, be, they'd be ripping it up to that music. <laughs> uh, even now, there's a nostalgia value there, obviously. But I think that, you know, that was a good era for indie bands putting out, like, really good singles. Like, maybe they just had one good single, but it was a, it was a banger. And sometimes, like, there's really good indie artists now who are critically acclaimed, but they don't have that one banger. Yeah. You know? That, like... Uh, uh you know she wants revenge had you know or, or whoever you <laughs> she want to say she wants she wants revenge had no bangers
1: and actually they, she was
0: I'll defend some of their side they, like they, they actually
1: played the first just like heaven the best my favorite bands on the lineup from 2019 were she wants revenge and Louis Fourteenth. like oh yeah bands where it's like yeah okay we don't have Interpol money yet to book certain bands but why don't we kick the tires on she
0: wants revenge like then maybe we can get them. Am I wrong? I mean, I, I I guess I don't feel like this era is maligned. It doesn't – I mean, Sean in Seattle is right in the sense that, like, the Meet Me in the Bathroom era is more glamorous, maybe. <laughs> it has, like, a sex appeal that this era doesn't have. It has, like, a rock star appeal. Um, but I don't know. If you were to make a playlist of blog rock versus, like, the return of rock, early aughts stuff – it could go toe-to-toe, I think. You could do
1: both. I mean, like, the, uh, a couple of my uh, fellow uh, Twitter people, like Keegan Bradford and Ariel Gordon, we did an emo we did a Zoom emo night um, last year, and we considered doing one for blog rock as well. We just never kind of got around to it. But, okay, like, one, the first thing I got to address with Sean from Seattle is that um, am I, he asked, am I or am I just out of t- step with most people's preferences on this? If you're doing an indie ba- cast mailbag, With all of I got to say, if you're asking that question yourself, the answer is probably yes. Um, That's kind of the point (laughs) of our show. But, you know, as far as, like, why people don't have the same sort of nostalgia for this era as they do for Meet Me in the Bathroom, like, the Strokes were rock stars. Like, Interpol were rock stars. Like – Whatever the equivalent of this book would be, like I don't know, meet me at the Pitchfork Festival porta potty. Like, <laughs> you, have you, like, have, have you talked to the guys from Clap Your Hands? Say yeah, or like Wolf Parade? It's like you know they they were just like some guys who. um you know, happened to be but in like, bands, but, you
0: could, but like, but like, Wynn Butler would be in that book
1: though. Yeah, he's a Winn Butler isn't like when Butler wasn't hanging out with like you know
0: Drew Barrymore and right. Um, yeah, it's just he's like, not as cool as like Julian Casablancas. Uh, well, who,
1: who the fuck? Who the fuck is? But like, all five guys from The Strokes were like cooler than like every other band that would come later. But um, you know, as far as like it. it Like, asking if, like, the establishment retrenched against, like, bloggers, people outside the establishment. I mean, I think the fact is that people, like, just – I think people weren't into the fact that all it took was, like, a blog to elevate a certain band from, like, nothing to all of a sudden, you know, whatever indie fame is. And, like, uh, it's funny because this was, at the time, seen as, like, a more honest means of star making, you know – like well, these blogs like they aren't under any sort of um, you know corporate oversight. But so many of these bands like they you could levy the same accusations against them as you could with like you know Flash in the Pan Pop acts, which is that like they sucked live. Like most of these bands were just fucking terrible live, uh, largely because they had to get like boosted from playing nothing to having to play whatever like First Avenue or what what's that venue called in Minneapolis. The 7th Street Entry? The 7th Street Entry, yeah. Just, you know, they weren't ready for that. Um, And I think with this era... And also, like, most of these bands were just, like, goofy-looking white dudes. And um, there's just a real... Like, people are, like, really not nostalgic for that aspect of it. That being said, Steve is right in that if you get, like, a Nuggets-like compilation for blog rock, like, a two-seat... like yeah, it would still have to be CD. 2005 was the sti- or you put it on like an iPod Touch or something like that. Exactly. I was like, going to
0: say it needs to be like downloaded songs off of uh Kaza Yeah, with or like mis-
1: with like mislabeled MP3s. <laughs> like that would do serious numbers. But, you know, also like the the bands that are playing just like heaven. Like these are bands that had like actual careers. Like you could you could say the Islands never really topped Return to the Sea, but you know, they had a career after that. Um, well, yeah, Parade never, never came close to touching
0: Apology to the Queen Mary, but they had a career. It's and and they still have that record that people love. And if exactly. they just want to play that record, uh, I mean, that record, I mean, most bands don't have a record like that. That you know, you, God, you, that is like the perfect indie
1: rock album in my eyes. Like, that is like if you put uh, like if you ask me, like, what do I want out of like indie rock? You like Apology. The Queen Mary is just one of the genuine articles, and the, it the, delivers. Yeah, and I, and the I, the funny thing about uh, that record is that I when when I think about like what bands sound like Wolf Parade, when you think about like people like Sean or Nate or our mailbag list readers who ask like where are the Wolf Parades nowadays, it's like, man, to me the bands that sound like that are bands that like you would call emo nowadays.
0: Yeah, I, well, it, I just want to push back again. Against something about the nostalgia thing, like people not feeling nostalgic for this era. I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but like I'm definitely, I definitely have warm feelings about that era of the internet. And uh, you you were talking about how there was some resentment at the time about this idea that like one blog post could elevate a band from obscurity to Mm. semi indie stardom. I kind of miss that. I like the idea of, uh, you know, and I know that blogs were not pure. I know that there was like some shady things going on with some of the big blogs. But like, um, I still like the idea of like a blog run by run by a person yeah. who just listens to a lot of music and they like this record and they talk it up. And because of their enthusiasm, that is what elevates this band. Um, I just like the idea of like the I guess the breadth of the internet at that mm-hmm. time that there were so many different places and it didn't feel quite as homogenized as it does now. Um, even if a fair number of the stuff that was boosted by the blogs ended up maybe being not that great or not that enduring um it was still like kind of like a fun, exciting time in that regard.
1: I think there's a common thread in a lot of our mailbag um questions about like oh man like I, I just missed the days when like music writing sort of mattered more. Um, and I think when when I look back on that era, that's what stands out to me. It's like it felt like there was actual stakes,
0: or like, or that it was like a it was a person. It wasn't like an institutional yeah. voice, you that's, know. Yeah. Which, and I think even like the big music publications or the indie music publications had more of an individual voice that you could yeah. say like, okay, I, even if I don't like this voice, I understand that there's a sensibility behind this yeah. that is very specific, and it's not. It hasn't been workshopped uh you know as much as maybe things are now yeah. uh, so it's less professional but it's also more distinctive uh and i think that's been the uh, the evolution um and again like i don't want to re- romanticize this too much there was a lot of corny things that happened then uh and but there were are corny things like yeah. <laughs> you know like
1: 12 years 12 15 years from now whoever's like 25 now they're going to look back on this era with a similar sort of fondness. Like even if it seems like way more self-serious and earnest nowadays, like there's going to be a ridiculousness to this era when you look back on it in time.
0: Yeah. Cause it'll be even more self-serious in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be even, we'll, we'll even have less of a sense of humor uh, <laughs> 10 years from now. So this will look like a big party mm. uh, in 2021. Um, all right. Well, that does it with, with, like, for our mailbag. We actually didn't get to all the letters that we wanted to talk about today, but we'll we never there's do. There's one letter that I think we'll we'll probably just hold for next week. Uh, so, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this mailbag. All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I recommend something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so um, this one you probably see me talk about on
1: Twitter. Uh, It's a band called Agi. I don't know how this band's name is pronounced, I can't find it anywhere because they're not on social media. Nonetheless, they are a band from North Carolina who I had seen open up for Foxing, I think, back in 2015. They're on Triple Crown Records. Back in the day, they remind me kind of like, if we're going to talk about blog blog rock, like Annuals or Anathalo. Like, I'm really bringing out the fine china for this uh, comparison. But also kind of like expansive in a way that reminds me of like, you know, Sufjan or Swans. Uh, they kind of disappeared for a while um, and they came back uh, a few weeks ago um, on June 30th because uh, a lot of the songs in this record are when where June meets July uh, and also the seventh when the cicadas came back it's called the idol I-D-Y-L-L, not idol like you know pray to God I like idyllic the idol opus parentheses one through six it is a hundred minute a concept uh, narrative record about two artists who meet each other on the way, I think, to the Cornerstone Festival, if I'm reading between the lines here. Um, And here's just a sample of some of the song titles. Where June meets July, colon, five, period, maps, to the soon of the great Midwestern summer jig. That's one of the songs. Um, Basically, if you like... Uh, 2005 heavily orchestrated blog rock and also like young adult fiction, but also like really expansive Godspeed, You Black Emperor post-rock. I, I don't even know what I think about this album right now, but I just love the fact that it exists. No publicity, uh, just thrown out into the world. Um, and also on their band bio, they spell my name wrong. I don't even know why they mentioned me. They spell my name with two N's.
0: <laughs> um yeah they just have very very straight uh very seems th- deliberate they might be uh having some fun with you like yeah that.
1: i think so but like if you if, if you like any of the bands i mentioned like you know blog rock also kind of tooth and nail christian rock but also post rock you're gonna find something to like here this thing is ju- i just love the energy of this thing and its existence so
0: so I want to talk up a record that is coming out next month. It's uh, The album's called Due North. It comes out August 6th. It's by a singer-songwriter named Liam Kazar. Mm. And you might know his name if you've seen uh, Jeff Tweedy's solo band or Steve Gunn's band. Uh, Liam has played in both of those groups. Uh, he's, he's currently based in Kansas City, although he was... Uh, Raised in Chicago, which I'm sure explains the the Jeff Tweedy connection. Apparently, he's also running uh, his own restaurant in Kansas City. Uh, it's like an Armenian restaurant called uh, huh. and I'm, I hope I did not brutalize the pronunciation of that word. But anyway, uh, Due North is a record I've been spinning a lot lately. It's a very charming record. Um, it's an album that I would say that if you enjoy like i'm trying to describe this wilco period i don't know if it's like the middle period that we would call it like that period from like sky blue sky and the whole love uh and wilco the album that period like that i guess late aughts early 2010s period i I don't know if that's considered middle wilco or late wilco but um that has this sort of like soft rock sound to it that comes from like you know early 70s like really well played songs um that have a groove to it uh, I would also liken it to like a lot of like, Mac DeMarco stuff, which I know is totally an Ian's wheelhouse. Mm. Uh, but just beautiful songs, very heartfelt lyrics. And it, this is a record, again, I've just been spinning it a lot. It's a great summertime record. Uh, and it's, I guess it's going to be coming towards the end of summer. Uh, but definitely keep an eye out on it. There's been a couple singles from this record already that you can go hear on any uh, streaming platform, and I would, re- I would recommend checking that out. But yeah, definitely mark your calendars for this record. Again, it's called Due North. It comes out August 6th. It's by Liam Kazar. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, dig more into his work. Hopefully, maybe even catch him live. I think he's got a lot of talent. And uh, th- this record, I think, is, is really strong. So uh, definitely check that out when you get the chance. Um, otherwise, that about does it for mm. this episode of IndieCast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.